the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. It used to be that shipping complained of sea blindness, out of sight, out of mind, and nobody thinks about how their goods actually get to them, far less the intricate global supply chain that relies on billions of tons of steel steaming through the world's oceans. Well, everyone's paying attention now, and all eyes are on the rather inelegant sight of a giant container ship wedged across the Suez Canal, blocking 13% of global trade that would otherwise be transiting one of the most important highways of global trade. As we record this week's episode, a flotilla of tugs and a giant digger are doing their best to unblock the global trade pipeline. But as anyone who has seen the photos, and let's be honest, there can't be many people who haven't taken a look, the size of the salvage army is rendered tiny against the backdrop of the Ever Given, underscoring the scale of their task. This is a big ship, and it's a big problem. But it's not like we haven't seen this coming. For several years, there have been warnings that the ballooning size of box ships have been outpacing the industry's ability to deal with the growing risk of such large assets. The industry has been collectively burying its head in the sand when it comes to supersized casualties, and it seems we're struggling. Evergiven is very big, very full, and very stuck. So is this going to be the casualty that sparks a rapid re-examination of the industry's obsession with size, Or are we going to once again forget about it once the bottleneck is unplugged and the rest of the world moves on to forget about shipping once again? Joining me this week, I have on hand an expert and something of a Cassandra on the topic of shipping's reluctance to deal with risk. Captain Rahul Khanna is the Global Head of Marine Risk Consulting at Allianz Global Corporate and Speciality. He's also a chronicler of the growing risk in shipping. While the causes behind Ever Given's failed U-turn in the Suez are for another podcast, once we've got the accident investigation report to hand, I talked this week to Captain Canna about how the larger the vessel is, the harder it is to deal with the problems. The industry has to come up with answers. Economies of scale have driven the size of ships, but in parallel, we also need to make sure we're looking at containing the risk that comes along with it. That is where we've struggled. Welcome to the podcast, Rahul. Thank you. Um, so we're talking around the issue of the ever given. I, I think it's fair to say it's too early to tell what has caused this particular incident. But you and I have spoken on many occasions about the growing size problem in shipping. And you know, the point that we need to make is that this is a, a 20,000 TEU container ship. This is at the top end of what is floating around the oceans right now. Uh, you know, yes, there are slightly larger ones, 23, 24,000, but the size of these vessels make salvage operations, casualties that much more difficult. And this has been a growing problem because the infrastructure around these ships, the, the salvage industry itself, uh, and the ability to actually come in and deal with these situations, that's not really been keeping pace with the size. And that's something you've warned about on a number of occasions. What's your thinking as you're watching what's happening in, in Suez this week? And, you know, is this a case of I told you so? <laughs> I would love to say that, uh, that I told you so. But, uh, but in all honesty, we, we have said this uh, repeatedly in our uh, safety and shipping review that the growing size of container ship, the exponential growing size of container ships in the last few years hasn't really kept up with um, from a risk perspective. And uh, the... 
in general, I would say before before we go on uh, into details, I would say the Swiss Canal has had a decent safety record. I think we, if you look mm. at look at the number of ships, about twenty thousand ships passing the canal, roughly in a year, we've seen about seventy five reported shipping incidents uh, in total um, over the last decade, averaging about eight to ten incidents a year. Um, so that's not too bad. But what we are in this territory of the unknown, uh, so to say, um, where the ship sizes have rapidly increased, the canal is not going to, to increase its its uh, size, although it has been extended in the past once. But th there is this new danger being posed that we, we do not really know how a casualty is going to manifest itself. Mm. And this is the first time we are seeing uh, the glimpses of how complex it's going to be and how complex it can become. Fortunately, um, uh, or, or we, we hope that this this gets resolved in the next few few days. But uh, what, the question that we should be asking is that before we went on with such crossings, in in the sense of business as usual, did we look back and and in detail and thoroughly did uh, sort of a risk assessment and say, well, what's going to be the impact if something really does go wrong with mm. with a with a 400 meter vessel? Uh, going across these cells and if the weather goes bad or if there is an engine failure or is there the all all omnipresent human error for that matter so we we just really needed to to focus and we still do need to focus on the fact that as this this size grows the complexity of any incident that happens will will quadruple multiply itself many times have we done that already are we prepared for it and if not uh we have to start seriously right now because mm. we can't afford another such incident happening in, in either Swiss Canal or Panama Canal or any other such narrow straits. I mean, as you say, it's not unprecedented. I think we were looking back to, to 2016 where we had the MSC Fabiola um, that blocked the southbound transits for two days. I think in 2016, the Maersk Shams in the same year, that vessel was refloated on the same day with, you know, relatively little disruption. But the key point there is that, you know, these were 12 and a half and nine and a half thousand TEU ships. They were half the size of this one. Yep. Do you think, you know, this is going to be taken as a bit of a, uh, you know, a, a warning alarm for, for the industry? Because we have seen this discussion surface in the event of container fires. Uh, we've seen it surface on a number of groundings where you know it's getting increasingly complicated and expensive, of course, to get these uh, casualties sorted. And you know when you are in the process of calling in heavy lift helicopters to sort of one by one take the boxes off in order to lighten the load to get these groundings underway, there's got to be a point at which the cost is so exorbitant that you know the industry really has to start thinking about this. Yeah, you're very right on that one because we. We are already seeing this year, 2021, has has seen a spate of uh, container containers falling falling overboard. Um, whether this was purely a coincidence um, that few of them happened in the first part of first quarter of this year, whether it was just uh, you know again an unfortunate occurrence of these vessels getting into severe weather, or whether it was a human error, or was it it was something to do with the exceeding Again, the size issue that we, we are talking about. So, we we as a as as an industry seriously need to think about um, have we done um, have we done the cost benefit analysis of this um, increase in increase in size over the over the years. Uh, 
24,000 TU vessels are out, out and about now. Um, mm. The couple of uh, incidents that you mentioned in the Swiss would comparatively, com- comparatively be m- smaller vessels mm. now. And uh, and as we know, that in, in an incident like a grounding, the size and the weight of the vessel it, it is one of the key factors, as, as, as such as the tide and other things. So, but we also have the issue of if there was actually the wind, the windage area for such vessels now is a lot more than mm. than normally uh, normally is. So yes, there's going to be this issue of uh, of have we gone past a point where we are losing control on on the risks that these such uh, these vessels bring along, whether mm. it's fire, whether it's uh, losing containers overboard, or causing a grounding and incident something like this, which is affecting the world trade at the moment. Yeah. So the severity and from a cost perspective, we we are sitting here in, in, a, in a place that we we see and we um, in our last review we simulated a loss quantum of four billion plus in in a collision between one of these vessels and a passenger vessels. That's not impossible today, given the circumstances. Just because, repeat that figure because that's that's a significant amount. So. Uh, so we did, we simulated a collision between two of these ultra large vessels. One right. of the one of them was a container vessel, and I think the other one was the passenger vessels. So we roughly worked out that what is going to be the cost if they had a, an incident, one was a total loss, and needed a wreck removal um, in an environmentally sensitive area like mm. we had with Costa Concordia and some of the others. So the nightmare of nightmare scenarios, and. Our, roughly, our calculations put that cost to the industry upwards of four billion dollars, which is significant. And yet, I'm not sensing from the discussions that I'm having with uh, industry executives that that risk is really registering in terms of action, in terms of their preparedness. You know, there's a lot of talk around cyber risk. There's a lot of talk around scenarios that have been dealt with before but this seems to be the stealth risk the bit that is creeping up on us the pace at which these ships have increased in size is exponential it's unprecedented but it's happening at a pace where i don't think it's necessarily registering in the same way that other risks are do you think there's a a sort of head in the sand attitude towards this I mean, I have to be careful a little bit on how, exactly how I put it, but because there's a lot of work being done in the last few years on this. But I have to agree to to a certain extent that uh, a lot of it is is being registered as incidents happen. And unfortunately, this is what we have seen in the shipping industry for, for decades, that we learn from our mistakes and haven't been proactive. In the 70s, at the 80s, after the massive collisions, uh, sorry, explosions on on VLCCs, we changed the regulations. We we got the inert gas going. We got everything else done. But again, as a result of big incidents happening, hopefully we we don't go down the same route now. We we learn. We be a little more proactive. We can see the evidence is already there of these big incidents. The costs are are astronomical, and they're only going to go up. As you yes. said, in some cases, if you have to use heavy, big helicopters to to lift containers one by one, you can imagine the cost. The wreck removal cost is is another big uh, element of this, which is unpredictable depending on the size of the vessel, depending on where they go aground, and what is the condition of the wreck, what is the cargo on board, and 
God forbid, if the cargo is hazardous, it increases the cost a few more uh, uh, exponentials. So, absolutely, there there is there is this uh, element of not not accepting that we have a serious issue here and it needs to be dealt with a little more urgent uh, action than than we are doing. Yeah, I mean the the the. the history of regulation within the the shipping industry and and the IMO itself is very much a question of closing doors after the proverbial horse has bolted. But, you know, this is a reactive industry in many respects, and it's only after we see a risk that we actually do something in order to stop it. Uh, I would argue, of course, that uh, one of one of our bugbears at Lawyers List, of course, is that accident investigations aren't circulated widely enough in order to learn the lessons. Um, we're still in a situation where the industry uh, doesn't see well over 40% of all accident investigations that should have appeared. They're just never published or at least they're certainly not registered with the IMO. And, and, and that is a wider issue. In the specific incidents of the uh, the Ever Given, um, obviously, I must stress that, you know, we, while the, uh, the, the, the rumours around uh, wind being a factor, um, this potentially being, uh, you know, something that we should be looking at uh, technical failures. Uh, the technical managers, BSM, have, have categorically denied that there was a mechanical or, or technical failure. Although I should point out that a previous um, casualty investigation on this ship, which I should point out is also only a 2018 build, did point to uh, an engine blackout uh, causing a, a relatively similar incident in the Elbe only last year. Oh, 2019, sorry. Mm-hmm. So obviously there will be a huge amount for the accident investigators to to look at. Um, but the bigger cost and the bigger concern, I guess, is the implications for the rest of the industry. We've currently got, uh, according to our calculations this morning, around 210 vessels sitting there waiting. You're talking about 13% of global maritime trade going through the Suez Canal every day. We did a rough estimates and we we reckon that the containerized goods alone represented a daily passage of around 10 billion dollars we're talking significant money here i mean in terms of the wider implications of this incident and, and the losses caused by it what what's the process now what's your what's your view in terms of how significant this is are we still looking at the um the timing being the issue if this is cleared up in a, a day or so it's a minor disruption but at what point does it become serious in your view well, I think it's already serious from the fact from the fact that uh, it's been a couple of days already, um, and it, it'll the seriousness will go up again, using the same word again exponentially if as the days goes on, because of the backlog and as you rightly said, it's on 12, 13 percent of the world trade passes through this uh, narrow zone. So uh, the, the implications, uh, whatever this particular incident might might happen in respect of data and everything. We we really have to to look at look at this as as a warning sign for things which may come. This was twenty twenty thousand, and uh, I think from a dimensions perspective of a vessel, twenty four thousand years might not be that bigger, but uh, it could be the difference between uh, a much harder grounding, which might take uh, not just days, maybe weeks to get off. And and within our insurance, uh, um, sort of say. Uh, diligent uh, due diligence exercises. We do realistic disaster scenario simulations, uh, as the one that I mentioned to you. The other one, of course, is the blocking of the uh, blocking of the Swiss Canal and blocking of the uh, Strait of Hormuz, for example. And these are the nightmare scenarios that we work out and and try and see what is the exposure going to be for the industry 
uh, for insurance company and the industry per se. And, and I have to take this as a warning sign. Coming back to what you said about uh, accident investigations, I think we pointed out in, in our 2019 report, same thing that it just takes too long for investigative reports to come out for the industry to learn its lessons. Uh, I mean, if, if you look at what's happening on, on the green um, initiatives from the industry, we, we can learn something from there. There, it, where we are being proactive. We are going towards a target which is set and we are trying to change things. A lot of people are working on it. This is the one of the hottest topic that's been going on. And a lot of people are working within the industry, taking responsibility for this. The similar thing we need to start looking at at uh, ultra large vessels as well, because I think somewhere that aspect is missing. We are again being reactive, which we seriously need to to uh, we have to be proactive. Of course, this comes pretty much at the worst time for for the container sector specifically, where you know capacity is constrained. Um, you have um, a lot of disruption in the supply chain as it is. Adding in um, something like this really just is, is going to strain supply chains. What's your view in terms of the, the, the insurance implications and, and, and the effect on the industry generally, do you think? Well, there's going to be serious implications, clearly. The world is already suffering from supply chain restrictions for some other reasons, uh, as in the recent fires in the Far East on, on, uh, on semiconductor supplies. Um, the Texas freeze uh, closed down the car makers uh, and the plants and, and a lot of other places. And the, the supply chain has already been restricted due to other incidents. And we really didn't need another incident like this, which would restrict supply chains. And this is going to have a knock-on effect on, on trade in many sectors. And overall, I think um, we, if we, if we, if this is not resolved quickly, and and the channel uh, and the canal can all really. Uh, stays blocked uh, restricted traffic I, I think it'll have a huge knock-on effect there's been blockages on imports in in the us we've already seen quite a few big queues there uh, on the bulk commodity side as well we have seen delays overall um, another big factor like this adding to the existing problem um, might have might have a devastating effect Wonderful. Captain Brahul Kanna, Global Head of Marine Risk Consulting at Allianz, thank you very much for joining the Lloyd's List podcast once again. Thank you very much.